Hello and good evening, and uh, it's great to welcome you to Chris Concern uh, Gospel Seminars Issue, Gospel Issues Seminar, I mean live uh, today, Monday, the 6th of July. And uh, we're delighted tonight to have Tony Wachinski, who uh, is uh, a key worker at Coalition for Marriage. Um, and the topic today is Should the Government Promote Marriage? And uh, we've got a fantastic uh, presentation that Tony has prepared, about 20 minutes, which we're going to play for you now and then when that's over uh, we will be back uh, live here and able to respond to your comments uh, do put questions in if you're following on youtube or on facebook you can put in comments and questions and we can respond to them we'll try and respond to as many questions as we can um, in the live q a straight after the presentation in about 20 minutes time but i know this is a really good presentation that tony has prepared uh, really meaty a lot of good stuff in there so I'm going to hand over to that now and uh, see you back again live in about 20 minutes time. Thank you. It's a privilege to be able to join you in your series of gospel issues affecting us today seminars. My subject for today is should the government support marriage? And just as you know, I've been asked to pre-record this and I'm doing that in my garden. So if we get a little bit of bird song, you'll know why that is. I've got an interesting subject to talk to you about. And when you look around us, I think it's one of the most interesting subjects in civil society and goes to the heart of an awful lot of what we're seeing these days. I'm going to put some slides up and we're going to dash through the slides. So don't worry if you miss something because we can pick it up in the QA session afterwards and then we'll open it up to questions and explore the topic a little bit further. For those of you who like to know where we're going to go, this is our little awkward introductory slide just to uh, paint the path for us. But before we do any of that, uh, I'm assuming that most of us, if not all of us listening and watching today are Christians. So uh, we're rooting this in biblical theology. And why wouldn't we begin with the Bible? Because if God says something is good, we know it's going to be good for the whole of society. And these verses I've put before you on the screen, we haven't got chance to go through them all in Bible study format, but it's just for you to see and to refer to afterwards where marriage appears in the Bible, starting right with Genesis and the plan for the first man and the first woman and that pattern going forward. And I've put Isaac and Rebecca in there because it's really interesting. That verse, how they married and then they loved. Their love grew after their marriage. I put Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 in there because that's a model of the church and Christ and how marriage reflects that model. And then I've put some words of our Lord in there himself because quite often you'll find people saying, oh, well, Jesus didn't say that much about marriage. Well, he actually did. And whenever he did, he referred to it as one man and one woman. And he also referred to the fact that he came to fulfill every jot and tittle and not remove any part of the law at all. So whenever he speaks, you can look at it in the context of all of those things. Now, maybe we can come back to some of that in the QA session afterwards. But the key thing to notice there is how God deals with covenants, not contracts. So we're not talking about provision of goods and services here. We're talking about spiritual unity, which is something very, very different. Now, when we talk about governments and operating in the world, of course, we are in an interesting scenario where although you and I might believe that the Bible speaks objective truth, there are lots in our society who don't believe there is anything such as an objective truth. And that truth is subjective. Whereas you and I might think or believe that all people are equal and some ideas are better than others, we actually seem to be taking the view that all ideas are equally valid and some people, depending on which ideas they ascribe to, 
are better than others. And that means we can get interesting headlines like this, where a man apparently gives birth to a baby via sperm from a woman, etc., etc. And this is regarded as truth by some people. So when I go around speaking to politicians, lawmakers, people that influence them, I tend not to refer to religion and scripture or morals because those things can easily be dismissed. But I know, and you know, as we said, that if God says something is good, there will be ample good evidence for that in society. So what I tend to do is refer to that good evidence, that robust, undeniable, unequivocal body of evidence that supports what is good and right. It's always good to have an emphasis and a view on what the greatest good for society is. Because when it comes to making policy for a country, those are the things that need to be looked at. Normal, for example, is not a bad word. It's a statistical term to indicate what most people are or do. However, while we look at things on a population base, of course, we've got to remember, we must be compassionate. So for example, if we talk about how good marriage is, we need to recognize that there are some occasions, adultery, abandonment, abuse, where marriages do not work out. And as Christians, we're called to be compassionate and to love people. And neither is what we're talking about bigotry. The fact that we refer to data sets and what's best for a population group means that we're referring to empirical evidence. And I'm happy to discuss any of that evidence and to debate what's best for society as a whole. Neither should we ever be dealing in hate or fear. And we should always resist anybody who says that we are, because that's absolutely not the case. So I suppose our first challenge then is to discuss, decide what marriage is. Something which has been with us for a long, long time. Before we had a country, before we had a language, marriage was. It's one of the oldest facets of mankind. If you look to Hollywood, you might believe that marriage is just something which is based on love, something which is there as a thing that people do when they want to express their feelings for each other. And it's largely feelings-based. I've been married 25 years, and I can tell you, if all you had was your feelings to rely on in terms of whether that marriage lasted or not, you wouldn't get very far. And that's why a lot don't. So what else can help us define what marriage is? Well, it's interesting. I sometimes ask the question when I go around the country giving uh, similar talks to this. If I were to say, hands up if your mother was around when you were born, I'm guessing a lot of you would put your hand up. But if I said, hands up if your father was around when you were born, fewer of you would. And not just around when you were born, but around when you were growing up. Yet it seems to be a statistical fact that children who are living with their biological married parents, firstly, are much less likely to die before they're seven. They do better academically. They do better emotionally. They are much less likely to be involved in crime and the criminal justice system. They are more likely to earn more throughout their lifetimes suffer less from mental health problems, and generally be those who make a greater contribution to society. And as you can see, the last stat there, most parents who are together when a child is 16 are married. The primary benefit of it seems to be, or the rationale, is to produce the best version of the next generation. And I'll give you a link to a resource with some references at the end, so you can look some of these stats up yourself. But it's easy to cherry pick stats, isn't it? So here's an example of a leading social science researcher who undertook what's called a systematic review of all the literature and found unequivocally that children from unmarried biological parents fare much worse than children brought up 
by their married biological counterparts. But then it doesn't stop there. You see, as well as marriage being much better for children, it turns out from the stats that marriage is much better for adults too. If you're married, you are statistically more likely to be happy. You are statistically more likely to live longer, to recover much better from major operations, to be less prone to mental health problems, to be generally healthier and wealthier than your unmarried or divorced counterparts. So historically, it's looking pretty good for marriage. It's interesting to note that the positive effects of marriage on children of the marriage and adults in the marriage outweigh anything else society or medicine has to offer in terms of positive outcomes. Now, is that a good thing for society to promote, do you think, for a government to support? You'd think so, yet when you look at it, we've had about 50 years of significant social change when it comes to the view of marriage. And I've got a little table here for you to look at. And on the left, you might look at marriage in the form of a covenant. And on the right, you might call marriage in a contract. One is based on two people coming together, making a commitment to each other, giving up their own rights in order to serve and support each other. The other is based on, well, as long as I feel it's good, then it is good. As soon as that changes, then it's not. Anyone can marry anyone, and my commitment goes as long as my feelings last. But interestingly, that's nothing new. A little bit of history for you. We've seen that before. If you look at the uh, Soviet empire, where you had a government who wanted more control over its people and recognized that families are problematic if that's what you want, because families are strong. Families are self-sufficient. Families look after each other. Families want to teach their own principles to the next generation, for example. So if you want control, you need to break up that family unit. And the two ways of doing that are firstly trivializing sex. You can see that uh, sex was treated like drinking a glass of water and then undermining this idea of long-term monogamous relationships. Anyone can leave anyone for any reason. You don't need a reason. You can just up and go. Does uh, any of that sound familiar? Now, I apologize for this next slightly busy slide, but it indicates the sorts of things we've done in our own country along that path of social change. And we'll come on to things like divorce reform in due course. But some of them have been well-intended, but just had adverse consequences. So take tax breaks and benefits for single parents. It's awful to think of a child growing up with a single parent in poverty, as I did, yet without any help at all from the state. However, we're in a situation now whereby, according to some organizations' research, like CARE, families are actually financially penalized parents start living together as opposed to staying apart. You've got the Human Fertilization Embryology Act, which for the first time in our history said that legally a child doesn't need a father on the birth certificates. Marriage redefinition in 2013, so-called same-sex marriage, which we'll come on to later on. The almost accepted default for premarital sex in our society for young girls now being yes, and the effect of the rampant porn industry some estimations that as much as a third of porn is now consumed by young girls. And then that final stat on the page, that if you take the cost of breakdowns of marriages in the UK, in terms of benefits, in terms of uh, children needing support in school, children dropping out of school, children, parents entering the criminal justice system for whatever reason, if you take all those costs and you add them up, it comes to 51 billion pound a year. And to put that into scale, that's how much we spend on our national defense budget. So you can see that as well as working marriages being a good thing, broken marriages are very, very costly, as well as being a bad thing for those involved. 
chart here just to show you that whenever the law has been changed around making divorce easier, divorce numbers go up. It's just a fact. When you make things easier, more people do it. But the interesting thing about that is it's not evenly spread across the population. The less well-off are much more likely to take up more divorce than the better off. So those very people who could do with the benefits of secure homes are least likely to get it. And of course, the more you undermine the concept of marriage by making divorce so much easier, the more you take away that idea of forever. And forever changes everything. If you're married to somebody and you know that you're married forever, you've got to work things out. Who has it said, every man is like the moon, he has a dark side that nobody ever sees? Well, if you get married, you see each other's dark side. But if you know it's forever, you're going to work through that together. Of course, the next graph, along with the increase in divorce, comes the increase in children born out of wedlock. It's interesting to note that if you uh, look at the national crime figures in the UK, in uh, 1950, there were 420,000 reported crimes. In 2000, there were 5.5 million reported crimes. And if you take that curve and you match it against this curve, you will find remarkable correlation. Who would be surprised? Of course, you'll be familiar with the Gender Recognition Act, which is a number of seminars in and of itself, is it not? Challenging the very concept of man and woman. Idea being that if you live as a member of the opposite sex, you don't need surgery to do that. For two years or more, you can then have a doctor not only give you a new birth certificate, but rewrite history and change your old one. And this, I would say, is maybe one of the most important slides for a government to look at in terms of should it support marriage or not. There's a guy who was a social anthropologist in Oxford University last century who studied cultures throughout the world, throughout time, and correlated the demise of all major cultures with their neglect of this concept of monogamous, one man, one woman marriage. You might think, well, that's not going to happen to us, is it? Because we are the mighty Western world. Well, let's think about that Western world. If you take North America, all of Europe, uh, add those together. If you uh, add other bits that you might consider the developed Western world, uh, Japan, a few other countries, you might come up with 1.4, 1.5 billion people. Well, there are 7.6 billion people on the planet, and we are in the minority. And you've only got to have a look around us at what's happening in the culture today to realize how fragile that all is. The question I often get asked is, uh, shouldn't I, shouldn't the government just live and let live? And if states and countries want to change and redefine marriage even further, well, why shouldn't we let them? Well, the problem is, as we know, laws influence culture. If you don't believe that, just try standing next to somebody in a shop at the moment. So when we say marriage, for example, is just about love, if you love someone else, change your partner, that fundamentally undermines this concept of forever. And slogans like love is love, the idea that if you don't recognize something, it means you're banning it, is simply not the case. I use the example sometimes when I'm out talking to people that uh, it would be ridiculous for some tennis players to come to a golf club and say, well, we want to play tennis in your golf club. And if you don't let us play tennis, you must be tennis phobic. Well, that's ridiculous. Golf is golf and tennis is tennis. The refusal to redefine golf as including tennis does not ban tennis. And then the problem with live and let live, of course, is that these days, it's not live and let live, is it really? Because if you don't agree with certain people's views, you're accused of hate and fear. 
And in a gentle but firm way, we need to stand up against that sort of stuff. And even putting data forward can be cited as evidence of your bigotry or hatred. And I thought I'd include that last point there, Mill's harm principle. John Stuart Mill uh, wrote an interesting bit of a long essay, really, on liberty, all about the things we should and shouldn't make laws about. And you might agree with it. It's quite an interesting thought piece. But his point was we should make laws about anything that stop harm. And some people therefore argue, well, not redefining marriage creates harm because people feel hurt. Well, that brings us back to that concept at the beginning about the greatest good for the greatest amount of people and the least harm for the greatest amount of people. And the Christian Concern are involved with Wilberforce Publications, who have produced a good book with Professor Walter Shum on uh, same-sex parenting research. And it's interesting to note, of course, that a lot of this information is very hard to find because if you're an academic who wants to get published, you better be careful what you put in the summary of your re research, otherwise it might not make it past the first hurdle. So Walter's done an awful lot of digging into an awful lot of research, and the evidence and the research is clear, as you would imagine, that children growing up in same-sex families do not do anywhere near as well on a population base as children growing up with their biological married parents. Then another argument, why shouldn't the government just live and let live? Well, because biology, it turns out, really, really matters. There is an undeniable link between a mother and her biological baby, a father and his biological child. David Popino, among many others, have done lots of research about the different things that mothers and fathers bring to relationships. Now, we know that in terms of male and female traits, there's about a 30% overlap. So yes, occasionally you'll find a, a woman who's stronger than a man, for example. But generally speaking, on a population base, a mum can't be a dad, and a dad can never be a mum. And then, you know, if marriage is only about love, well, I agree. Why should a government have anything to do with it at all? And if marriage is only about love, then why should you even have a definition? Why don't you just let anybody marry anybody? As many people as you want marry as many people as you want at the same time. Why would we have a notion of monogamy? What's the point? Why would you have a notion of forever? Nobody's feelings last forever. And then I put that note at the bottom because a lot of people don't realise at the moment there's a key difference between heterosexual marriage and same-sex so-called marriage. And that's that concept of adultery. Same-sex relationships are based on love. There is no definition of a sex act, so there is no definition of adultery. Of course, no-fault divorce removes all that and brings heterosexual marriage down to the level of same-sex marriage. So should a government support real marriage? Yes, it should, but marriage is definitely under fire. I've got a couple of quotes there for you. Uh, the first is an organisation which is a precursor to many of our current LGBTQ organisations who feel exactly the same way. And even recent justice secretaries have spoken about how they embrace all new forms of families and the demise of the so-called nuclear family. And then you've got William Barr's quote at the bottom that this is organised destruction. And as we begin to wrap up, uh, just a few notes on the fact that we do have some good protections which were hard fought over as the law changed in our land. We are able to speak openly about our opinions around marriage and the definition of marriage without that being de facto hate. Church of England has something called a quadruple lock, whereby it cannot perform same-sex marriages, and no minister can be compelled, as the law says, by any means to undertake same-sex marriage if they don't want to in any other church. And then we have religious protections in the Equalities Act, 
that enable us to live according to our firmly held religious convictions. But even so, I spend a lot of my time engaging with people who are still under attack because of what they believe about marriage. And any of you who have ever used Twitter or Facebook to express your opinions will know what that's like. And there are continual attempts in Parliament by people to unpick so-called quadruple locks and to rewrite equality laws so as to undermine the legality of those opinions. So what do we do about it? Well, the key thing for young people, you young people, is to speak up, to make your voice heard in a polite, evidence-based manner, to write to your MPs. If there's one thing I'm told when I speak to MPs and policymakers is that letters from individuals make a big difference. The sad fact is the only people they tend to hear from are on one side of the debate. There was a Comrades poll in uh, October 2018, which indicated that, an anonymous poll now, over half of MPs were afraid to voice their true opinion on some of these issues for fear of the mob. Now that's our lawmakers. And the reason is they're not hearing from the silent majority. So it's really important that you speak up. Follow organisations like Coalition for Marriage, c4m.org.uk. Subscribe, costs you nothing. We're just after keeping you informed and encouraging you to stand up for what really matters. Little things like not conceding the language. There's no such thing as a cis woman or a cis man. There's male and there's female. Get involved in social media carefully, sensibly, and perhaps we need to talk about that in the QA session afterwards. It's amazing how some other organisations have had a 25-year strategy to get key people in positions of influence to alter society. And frankly, they've been strategically brilliant. But honestly, it's time for a response. But the final thing we can all do is really just big up this notion of great marriages. I cannot think of anything more wonderful than my marriage. It's such a huge privilege to know that I have somebody in my corner, on my side, that we have committed together forever. And is it easy? Oh, no, no, no. Sometimes it's quite hard. It turns out the hardest things in life are often the best. Now, I'll leave you with a link to a resource, which is a PDF document, not that long, but it talks about a lot of the things that we've been talking about, not all of them, but also talks about some other things too, and gives you some links to some uh, further information and some background research if you want to look at it. Please download, distribute as much as you want to. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen, and let's now join together live for some questions and answers. Great. Well, uh, thank you very much, Tony. Um, great to bring Tony into this live stream now. Um, do post your questions on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on YouTube, and uh, we'll respond to them. Um, I thought that was a really helpful presentation there from Tony Wachinski of the Coalition for Marriage. Um, is Tony able to be brought onto the screen now? Here he is. Great. Hey, hey Tony. Great presentation. Thank you Thanks, so much Tony. for that. Really uh, full of really good points, I thought, and, and great content there. Um, Tony, I wanted to ask you a question that um, some Christians asked me, actually. Some Christians say that um, marriage is really a Christian thing, and therefore, you know, the church should just decide who to marry and who not to marry, and, uh, and the state should just leave it alone. And the state, you know, forget, the state should just get out of this thing. It's a religious thing, really. Yeah, so, um, so let's just, um, the state just leave it alone, and, um, and we'll take it from there, and, and you know, stop worrying about what the state says. The church mm. should just get on with it and marry people who they want to marry and, and divorce people if they think that's legitimate and carry on. What, what would you say to Christians who say that, Tony? Well, two things, um, Tim. It's a really good point. But um, so if you're speaking to Christians, first of all, 
uh, I think you could say that God created marriage as what you would call a creation ordinance. So right. it's a good thing not just for his people to obey, but it's a good thing for all people to obey. Now, I know you could argue that for everything God sets, but some of God's commands you can't expect non-Christians to obey because you need grace to obey them. But marriage is one of those things that actually it's put there because it's good for society. And um, you, you'd think that anything that God said was good for society, there would be evidence in society that it is good. And I think the points of my presentation, what I was trying to get across, uh, Tim, is the fact that um, when you look at the evidence, there's nothing anywhere near as good as the marriage of your biological parents to make sure that you grow up with the best possible advantage in life. Nothing else comes anywhere near. Now, that's on a, on a population base, Tim, because, of course, there's examples like my own. I'm a living example of somebody who grew up um, in a home which was about as broken as it can get. And we can maybe talk about that some other time. But, um, you know, and I've done OK, kind of statistically. But I'm I'm an exception to the rule. Better than OK, yeah. Tony. You're great. Well, <laughs> it's, all, it's all relative. And, <laughs> but... But I'm an exception to the rule. And I would say that's by the grace of God, by the way. And that's another thing we can maybe talk about. But, um, you know, if you look at society in general, kids that grow up without a dad really don't do very well at all. They're much more likely to enter the criminal justice system. Uh, they're much more likely if they're girls to be pregnant before they're 19. All yeah. sorts of things. Like, and these, are, these aren't just opinions. This is empirical yeah. statistic evidence across society. Marriage is yep. really good for society. So what, what you're saying really is that, um, if I'm hearing you right, is that laws shape society and yep. uh, society, you know, marriage is good for society, good for children, good for the adults. And yep. therefore, you know, um, as well as it being a creation ordinance, yeah, yeah. something that yeah. applies to everyone, not just Christians. Yeah. And therefore, the state should get involved yeah. in it. Um, I mean, that, so Tim, if I can, sorry, to, but you're absolutely right there, because it's like... Um, you know, the government's role is to help society be the best version of itself. That's why things like, you know, class A drugs are outlawed and that sort of stuff, because they're no good for society. And in right. the same way, marriage is really, really good for society. So the government's role should be to do everything it can to promote marriage. That would be my position. Yeah, great. Um, I'm going to bring in um, Andrea Williams, um, our Chief Executive of Christian Concern, um, who's here as well. Welcome, Andrea. Mm -hmm. Um, Hello, great to be here tonight. Great to see you. Did you like that presentation? Yes, excellent. Thanks so much, Tony. And it's good to work alongside you at Coalition uh, for, for Marriage. That's It's great. I mean, I think that's really interesting there. I think I'm getting some echo. You're okay. Keep going. You're I, okay. We can hear. Um, just with regard to uh, fatherlessness, and I know that we've got Izzy um, as well um, back backstage that uh, we'll, we'll be bringing on, but to talk about the um, need for young, uh, well, I, I think for children to be within um, family units um, is very important. And the maintenance, also the maintenance of a, of a core unit um, at the heart of our national life is critical in, in terms of its general well-being. And in the time of COVID, um, without really encouraging that, um, we see um, level you know, distress. So I think that we've, um, we need to be thinking about that. I've got yeah, a lot we've of got a, We've got a question here from Rose Knox on Facebook. Um, do we have to stay married if there's domestic abuse in the marriage? Tony, do you want to 
Do you want to respond um, to that? I, I was quite clear about that, hopefully, in my presentation. Adultery, abuse, abandonment, there are very good reasons why you might want to get out of a marriage. Uh, and the law, as it's, as it's stood for a long time, recognises those. Nobody should have to be uh, in an abusive relationship. My, my mother was in an abusive relationship. And I, you know, I know firsthand what that can be like. Nobody should have to be in that kind of relationship. So by all means, you know, if you're um, uh, facing abuse in your marriage, um, you're, you're perfectly at liberty, biblically, uh, yeah. as well as ethically, to do something about that. Yeah, yeah. And what about this, Tony? Some people say to me that, um, you know, if, if I believe in traditional marriage, marriage is only between a man and a woman, and therefore that I as a man can only marry a woman, that's discriminatory, or you're a discriminatory so-and-so. You know, what, what yeah. would you say to someone who poses that question well, again uh, I, I kind of maybe i dealt with that crudely with the kind of golf and tennis thing um ma marriage marriage has is is throughout history we've observed the way best societies work um and the way best societies work is when men and women who have children stay together and raise those children and commit to each other for monogamous relationships for life. That seems to be the thing that really produces the best version of the next generation. And we've called that marriage. Yep. So You're sounding pragmatic now, Tony, is well, that right? <laughs> no, we've called that marriage. Uh, yep. Society's called that marriage. So to then yep. come along and say, well, actually, let's redefine that. Well, you've, you've kind of got, you know, it's cart before the horse. We've observed what works and we've called it marriage. To then throw something else in with that, you know, it doesn't make any sense, irrespective of the fact that the Bible is quite clear that marriage is the thing that happens between a man and a woman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, here's another question from. Uh... I mean, it's also a creation cornerstone. It's Absolutely. It's how we do life. It's how we do society. Mm. And I yeah. think that when we cede to the state, um, almost the, the, um, the, the care, mutual mm. care, um, what we've allowed as a society generally is to permit to permit the state to intrude into our family lives. We permit the state to define what marriage is when actually it exists out with the state in many ways. It's something that, that pre-exists. It's something mm. that God uh, ordained, God put there at the mm. very beginning of time. Mm. I've got yeah. a question here from, um, I apologize, I pronounced your name wrong, Ali Reza, is it? Um, what you see is... What do you see as the solution to the situation we're facing in society with society not promoting biblical marriage? Do you think the church does enough? If not, what more does it need to do, Tony? Well, <laughs> so I don't think the church does anywhere near enough. Um, I don't think the church um, really touches on the issues that are affecting society um, in a way that it should be doing, uh, maybe for fear of, um, of being ridiculed or being attacked. Um, or maybe, in fact, people just don't believe in the way that they should believe. I don't know. But the church isn't speaking up enough. Whenever you hear um, leaders in the church nationally speaking up, it doesn't seem to be about God-centered strategies like marriage. Some do, but many don't. Um, what we can do as individuals is, as I put in my end, um, end slide, is to stand up and be heard. Problem yeah. is, it's quite costly to do that now because we've been too quiet for too long. And we let it go too far. If you've ever read, and I didn't mention it in, um, in my presentation, didn't have time, but there's a book called um, The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. 
Yeah. And a, a um, an abbreviated version has just come out, so it's a little bit shorter than than um, the, the longer version. That's what abbreviated means, right? But anyway, it's um, it's quite good, and it, sh it charts the the, the yeah. demise of Soviet Russia, if you like, and how yeah. people just let so many things go for until they got to the point yeah. where actually they couldn't speak anymore yeah. for fear of being locked in a gulag and find right. all their family destroyed. Now we haven't right. quite got there yet. So yeah. while we've got a chance, MPs react to the opinions of the constituents. If they yeah. only hear yeah. one side of the debate, they'll only react to one side of the debate. That yeah. shocking survey that most, you know, over half MPs were too afraid to say their true opinion on certain issues. Well, that's because the rest of us aren't speaking up. We've got to make our voices heard. And as Christians, you've got protection in the law from doing that in the way that non-Christians haven't. So if yeah. the salt loses its saltiness, you know, what should we do yeah. with it? Yeah. Okay. So we've got um, Terry and Di Lewis here saying, um, can you explain a bit more about the distinction between a covenant and a contract? You know, what is what is different about marriage in terms of we talk about it being a covenant or, or you mm. know, a lot of people think it as just a con contract. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, so a contract is it's it's a, a legal thing um, whereby. Uh, you agree uh, to provide something to somebody else in return for something else. So it's a difference between let's let's look at it um, instead of just going to the law. Let's think about going. Let's think about shopping at ASDA or shopping at Sainsbury's. Right? There's a difference yeah. between getting my shopping at Sainsbury's and my yeah. wife who might cook my tea. And let me just say, we both do the cooking. Okay. Well, not it's not even <laughs> split. I have to be honest. Um, but um, okay. you know we. But, but it's the difference between buying your shopping from Sainsbury's, which is a contract, and your wife making your tea, which might be part yeah. of a cup. She does it because yeah. she loves you. Yeah? yeah. And you wouldn't dare say to your wife, actually, I want my money back because, you know, this fish is a bit cold or something. Because that's not what this is about. This is something else. Now, when my wife and I married, and this is kind of touches on the whole no-fault divorce thing, um, we right. agreed that this is for life. This is our commitment for life now. So and, and when you make a commitment for life, it changes yeah. everything. Yeah, because you yeah. don't have to pretend and perf perform in the way you do because you love the person and you want to be the best for that person. Yeah. But you, you don't have to think. I mean, goodness me, if I had to depend um, uh, every day, well, if I make one wrong move, she might walk out on me. What yeah. kind of a life is that to lead? lead? Yeah. But that seems mm -hmm. to be the life that most people think they want to live. How awful to be in that situation, you know, mm, because, mm. you know, there's another kind of whole part of this discussion, which is that you you won't marry the right person because nobody ever does. Because, there, you know, what you think is the right person for you probably isn't um, right. because, you know, you, you you get somebody who if they're if they're the right person for you actually ends up chipping off all of your hard bits and, and making you smoother in places, your personality in ways that uh, yeah. you, know, you never thought were required. And that often yeah. isn't a very comfortable experience. Yeah. Not in my um, experience anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've got scars all over me. But you, yeah. you know. There's nothing to um, chip off Andrea. She's fine. But yeah. <laughs> well, I'm completely right. Him. I worked, I worked a lot with Tim. He's got not, he, he doesn't need much smoothing out. He's great. And you know, his wife's also great. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, would say, I would say that one of the things in, um, I mean, you're right. 
that this need, this need to be really, the commitment need is something that's very important and going through the seasons of life is very important and understanding that it's a lifelong commitment is vital. But I also want to bring out just the joy of marriage, mm. the fact that it works, the joy of children, the joy mm. of raising them. You know, I think mm. very often society seems to paint or portray this picture of marriage being like a prison. I think that, mm. you know, in all God's truths, the truth sets you free. Mm. And under him, very often, the majority of time, I believe that people, when they come into covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when they surrender their lives to him, when they commit to a lifelong marriage with him, then what we find is something that's intrinsically beautiful, that is the formation and foundation mm. of family life. And that is a light unto the world. And of course, it doesn't stop just at the base family unit. It extends to the wider family, the household, mm. parents-in-law, uh, your son-in-laws, your daughter-in-laws, your brother-in-laws. And then you have a household, even of faith. Mm. Yeah. There's nothing to rock a household of faith. Yeah, yeah. And, Andre, I can see we've got some questions here starting to come about um, LGBT type things and sexuality yeah. and stuff like that. And I'd like to bring um, Izzy Montague into this discussion. Um, Izzy, uh, fantastic uh, mother and um, and client of Christian Concern, Christian Legal Centre. And we've got a five minute video to show, uh, which just sort of brings some context into your experience, Izzy. So let's let's play that video and then let's come back to uh, discuss some of your experience and and uh, the questions raised by it. So can we play that video now, please? Thank you. Yes, parents were afraid, very afraid. How would anybody feel from any community to hear a school say, no, this is what your child has to do. And if you don't like it, your child must leave. I mean, as the law still stands, children should be taught in line with their parents' faiths and beliefs. And if you send your child to school with a note to say, my child cannot take part in, in, a, in a vein, that should be respected. It was the celebration of National Gay Pride Month and the school was misleading as to what they, they chose to do that we can, you know, make it about a race thing, but people can be proud of who they are. So let's include um, Windrush in this. You come from a Caribbean background. We're trying to celebrate you as well. We're trying to celebrate the suffragettes, women rights, women being able to vote. And so it was very obscure, very messy, very like, can I, do I have a right to object to this? Because it seems like they're covering a lot of things that, you know, have a place in my heart as well but you know you you have to be able to you know sort out saints from nonsense and realize that hold on this is still national gay pride i myself would never choose to celebrate the two things together and neither should anybody be forced to celebrate the two things together you can be proud of yourself without having to celebrate other people's being proud to be able to you know um, have sexual relations with each other oh, look he's got his lights coming on Ooh. 
My problem with this is that there was lack of compassion, accommodation to parents who didn't agree with this and didn't agree that their child should take part. So it was un unethical to sell something to, to children that otherwise they would never have known. You, you know, in any part where you're doing anything to do with sexual relationships, you require consent. These children did not consent to being able to take part in something that I believe that you need to be of a certain age to say, you know what, I agree to this. You have to, my child was four at the time. And I think that was way beyond his scope to be able to understand. Um, day of the meeting um, with um, the head teacher, she was very, you know, hostile from the moment, even before we sat down, we were told by the head teacher that if any of our views um, were racist or homophobic or transphobic, the meeting would be terminated. On top of that, the head um, teacher's daughter wearing an offensive t-shirt that stated, why be racist, why be, um, no, why be racist, why be homophobic, why be transphobic when you can just be quiet. That was ri written on her t-shirt, literally in black and white. And that's what made me, you know, think this is, something's not right here. I would honestly say that, you know, as a parent, you are your first child's educator. So the fact that the school was trying to override a parent and say no, that is a problem. Regardless which side of the fence you're on, it shouldn't be a case that, oh well, you feel pressured and I'll send my child into school and they have to do something because the school says so. The school is there for us, not the other way around. Thank you so much for standing on this and for continuing to stand. And we look forward to seeing how the case unfolds. I think it's really important that people are aware that in primary schools, this agenda um, is being forced out, literally forced out. You had no idea, did you? No, absolutely no idea that I would ever have to face this at all. Never heard of it before, so, you know, it's just a case where it was sprung on me and I went into parent mode. Great. Well, thank you, Izzy. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for your stand there and your example to us. Fantastic. Um, can I ask you a question? So, um, a, lot of you, a lot of people must have called you. You must get people saying you're homophobic. How do you respond to that? Oh, you don't got your sound working there. You've got your sound working there. Um, I'm sorry. We'll have to, we'll have to um, come back when your sound is working properly. Um, Tony, what would you say to that to that one? Well, um, firstly, Izzy, thank you. If you can hear, thank you for doing that video and for standing up. And it must have been an awful lot to stand up. And this, of course, is one of the problems that a lot of parents are facing because to stand out from the crowd and to be accused publicly of being homophobic or something is an awful thing when in all likelihood you're really not. And it sounds a bit trite, but I've some of the, some of the most um, able colleagues I've had have been same-sex attracted. You know, it's it's there is there is genuinely not a homophobic, you know, bone in my body. There are some I've got some really good friends who are same-sex attracted. Um, 
my my position is that the bible has a clear opinion on that and mm. in terms of what the bible does with it and it isn't mm. something that i feel constitutes marriage if it becomes a um, a relationship uh, that doesn't make me homophobic um, mm. i neither hate nor fear anybody who's gay let alone everyone who's gay it's ridiculous but specifically to izzy's point children are children and we shouldn't be teaching them about any sorts of sex or sexual attraction at a young age it just no. isn't relevant to them. It yeah. shouldn't come into the curriculum. And I have alone. to say, yeah, and I have to just say, as uh, um, as someone who founded and has been involved in tens of tens of cases now over many years, um, all of the clients that have lose job, find themselves suspended, they are loving people who love the Lord mm. Jesus Christ, who seek to serve the public, who love their families. There's there's not even a question of um, whether or not this this label of homophobia, this label of bigotry, which actually creates the climate of fear. We're living generally in a climate of fear in our nation at this time, but preceding the current COVID climate of fear was a, was a climate of fear that had been placed upon us that we weren't to say certain things. How can we be in a situation whereby saying that marriage is between the man, one man and one woman yeah. Saying that we want to raise our children in that way, saying that we won't promote pride as Izzy did, becomes something for which we find ourselves punished in society, or it becomes the great unsayable. The reality yeah. is that so, if we're talking um, about family and marriage, then we should be able to raise our children um, within our own belief system. But we have a government, as Izzy found out, that is foisting upon the children, upon the education system, um, another set of beliefs. Yeah. And, it's a, and it is an indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And Izzy, I mean, you found, I mean, it was extraordinary what happened to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I had never had come across this before. And it was astonishing how me trying to create an environment for my child that was within our beliefs. I was trying to pass on the same, you know, the same family environment that I had had that led me into my marriage. And I was told basically, no, that's not allowed. Um, and yeah, I was called homophobic. Mm. But since just having, you know, biblical belief mm. about marriage and about family, and how did you find other parents responded and your church responded, Izzy? Izzy? I found the church to be very quiet. Um, it's not because they weren't supportive, but I do believe that maybe they were scared of the backlash mm. with regards to what might other people think. You get met with a lot of the time about being loving, that it's not mm. very loving to discriminate mm. against other types of relationships and love and yeah. somehow by not being supportive of other marriages such as same-sex mm. marriage that yeah. means that in, in one way or another you're trying to raise your child to be as homophobic and as, as, as a bigot as I mm. you know clearly am which I'm not but yeah. yeah so the church I found yeah you know they could have you know said spoken up a bit more I, I felt that that's what we needed more, you know, mm. we needed the church to speak up loud against mm. it, other than just having parents speaking on this. It would have been 
really good for churches to speak out about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I find it quite difficult how any church can expect other people, the congregation, to go out and celebrate marriage if yeah. they're not speaking about marriage. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's a little comment here from Stephen on YouTube. Um, what's so funny is the only hope of exists is the fear of speaking against it. Well, there's something in that, isn't there? Um, mm. that, that the, the fear we actually have here, it, you know, which phobia is meant to be a fear, isn't it? The fear we actually have is actually saying something. That, that's the fear that people have, isn't it? Uh, you know, whether they're parents, Christians or non-Christians and churches and so on. The fear that we seem to have really is, is you know, what will happen when I say, when I speak the truth mm. about this. So uh, thank you for, um, for speaking out there, Izzy. And how's it been left with your school now and the children in your school now? I mean, he goes to a different school, um, but when he did join the school that he attends now, um, which is a Christian school, we did make it clear that this is where we stand. And do they support it, or would they, you know, would they, would we come up against anything in the future? And again, it, everything was very vague, but you know, I did make you know my stance clear that this is what we believe, you know, that we are created in an image of God, and it's our, you know, that that's what we would also want to pass on to our child because mm. he's also an image of God, and everything was very vague. Again, I think it, a lot, it's a lot to do with the government, with yeah. its stance well, on that. I, I think we need to recover our confidence. The church needs to recover her confidence. We've got a Amen. great, great news yeah, message. Absolutely. In an age and an era of confusion, we need to be proclaiming that Genesis 1 truth about that we're made in the image of God and that he brings man and woman together and that's the cornerstone of society. That's the cornerstone of life. And that, in a sense, is om it's almost becoming the revolutionary act. And mm. if, if you know, it's the state that is redefining marriage to be something that it can't be. Mm. And... We cannot be coerced or compelled against if if the state begins to compel us some, to do something that the state forbids. Sorry, that the Bible forbids, that God forbids. And that's the situation that we are increasingly in and why we have um, so many cases. But in an age of confusion, mm. the, the, the gospel action, the loving action, mm. is to point out what stands against God's truth. Mm. And that's, Andrew, if I could pick up on that, because you make, yeah. a, as you always do, right, you make a really fundamental point there, because it's now when, when you look at the debate around the, um, the same sex marriage um, act, uh, there was a book written at the time, which I, I'm not going to recommend you go and read because it, it makes a basic statement. And that's it, really, which is that uh, and it was called A Better Story. And the fact yeah. is that the other side told a really good story of love and romance and care. And we were shouty, shouty, shouty. But actually, we need to be talking, as you said earlier on, about the joy of a, of a well-working marriage. You know, I, I cannot believe the, the privilege which is mine of being the person I am created by God first and then by my marriage over 25 years. But then also just being in this relationship, you know, and the security that gives me, the, the love and the family and everything else which nothing else in life can give the advantage that marriage gives it's such a wonderful thing we should be speaking out about it all over the place but we're just too quiet sometimes 
Yeah, and you mentioned our book, didn't you? Same-sex parenting research oh, yeah. by yeah. Walter Shum. Yeah. A yeah. great sort of meta study. Um, yeah, yeah. Not for the faint-hearted, I might say, but for people who want the details and mm. what the studies really say and what the science really says, that yeah. is the, the go-to book. And can that. I just say, can I, can I say Tony, Tony, though, I mean, I think we shouldn't... I'm tired of people saying we're shouty, 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 or we mm. were shouty, 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 because mm. actually I think we're loving, loving, loving. Mm. And I think we're loving, loving, loving all the time. Yeah. And I think that Chris, everyone I know, the Christians I know, even the campaign groups like my own, we mm. our, heart, our heartbeat is love. Izzy's heartbeat is love. And let me say that it's either love, 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 or sadly, silence, silence, silence yeah. for this, the Christian quarters. Yeah. But I mean, These days you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so I think that we've... I think sometimes when we face these accusations, that's what the other side wants people to believe of us, that we are hateful and shouty. When in fact, I have the courage to speak because God's love compels me to speak. Yep, yep. We're not just temporal beings. You know, we're body, mind and soul and spirit. We have eternal destinies. And, 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 and Christ says, hereby shall they know that you are my people because you love one another. You know, and it's the idea of us living out our loving lives in the Lord that actually shows people that we are in fact Christians. And we, you're right. We just need to be doing that so much more. Yeah. So Izzy, you've, you've been, been um, amazing. you've been amazing because you've gone out, you've gone into TV studios. Um, and you, I know that you're a woman that's full of love. And every time you've had the courage to speak, what is it that drives you on that? I, I, feel that I have a lot to pass on to like a generation that feels a bit lost. I understand where people are coming from. People do come from broken um, families. A lot of people in the community do. And I think that this kind this the anger, they're, they're, they're speaking of a place of anger where I personally think that the anger is coming from because they didn't have it. And there is some Form of, I, I'm not sure that they feel that maybe we're boasting when we're speaking of, of this, the marriage that we have, the love that we have. And I feel that sometimes it's a case of just trying to, to show people that this isn't a case of we're saying our lives are better and, you know, this mm. is something that everyone should, could have. Mm. If we're only, we only just speak out about things, that's mm. quiet and try to just expect others to to jump on board and understand what marriage is. Marriage is for everyone. Children mm. should be taught it from as young as possible of what it means. It, we are living in a culture now where marriage is, is something that nobody, anybody can do, same sex can do. And it's down to us, you know, for us to speak out and tell, you know, our children and other children that this is what marriage is. It's stability, it, it's a, a covenant between you know a man and a woman where we're bringing life into the world and providing that stability for children so they can go forth and do the same thing and yeah. you know and break down what we are having mm. at the moment where we're having so many children and i think yes i think to bring this on to even the sort of like the biggest level of all we're all broken sinners that's the message of the gospel jesus christ meets each one of us where we are Mm. Tony had a rough start. I had a great, 
great parents. We all come from different places. The, the, Jesus offers himself to every person on the planet. And he meets that person where they are. Whatever their background has been. And he is sufficient. He's all sufficient. He is the bridegroom for the bride. He, at the end of the day, we need to remember that in, 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 for, for every single human person. But when he meets us and we, do, and we accept his forgiveness that he brought on the cross, and then we think of our life as he commands us to do. And the way in which sexual expression is within the covenant of marriage. But that therein lies the hope. We're not imprisoned by our past when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of hope that we need to bring to others. Yeah, I've got a question here from John Winlow. Um, responding to this point about love, some churches teach that love is accepting people as they are, and that has percolated into Christian consciousness. You'd like to respond to that, Tony, perhaps? Um, well, if, if your child is doing something wrong, uh, and you think that love is not letting them know they're doing something wrong, then I think mm. you've, you've got issues with your parenting skills, because yeah. your job as a parent is to let them know what wrong and right is. So they can lead the best life they can. And that is a picture of what God does with us and what the church should be doing in a loving, gracious way is yeah. teaching us, you know, biblically speaking, what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. And as I mentioned mm. in my slides, we, we, we live in a society that doesn't, doesn't accept that there is um, mm. uh, an objective wrong and right. It's whatever people feel. Well, yeah. that's because we've been too quiet for too long. Really. Yeah. Tony, how long have you been married? Um, well, on the 15th of this month, it'll be 25 years. Congratulations. Fantastic. Hey, Andrea, hey. how long have you been married? 30. Hey. I'm a right old timer. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy, how long have you been married? And how many children have you got, by the way, Izzy? Six, six years. Six, six years. Six how many years, children have you got? Three. Three. Fantastic. I, I'm uh, 20 something years, 20, 22, I think now, um, nice. years. Um, so. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, it's been great chatting to you guys um, and great chatting to you uh, watching and following and commenting on YouTube and Facebook. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, do stand up, do speak out, mm. uh, do follow and like us and uh, subscribe on YouTube and Facebook. That really helps us as well. And uh, look forward to seeing you again. We'll be live on Friday lunchtime again at 1 p.m. And, uh, and we'll look forward to catching up with you then as well. Thank you very much and uh, have a great evening. Goodbye. <laughs>